folks, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, the podcast that embraces the lunacy of sports for better or worse at all times. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also from Maze and Brew. Andy, you Neolithic warrior poet. How you doing, my brethren? I'm good, man. Week off got me refreshed. Let's put a lot of research into the pod tonight. Pistons got the number one pick in the draft. You know, things are things are looking up. Things are looking up. Yeah, let's start there with news. There's not a lot of news, and this is not a Detroit Pistons podcast, but this is a Michigan Wolverines podcast. We're going to have a lot of Michiganders out there, and this is probably the greatest single thing to happen to Michigan sports, at least luck-wise, in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, something like that. It's, it's kind of feeling like the gods are slowly, you know, turning favor towards the Detroit area. It's coming back our way. Orlando's always going to get screwed, which is always nice to see. They had Shaq and Penny and messed it up. So this is nice. You know, we're just, we're getting our blessings now and everybody else can just deal with it. It's our turn. It is our turn. And, you know, it's not like the Pistons are some poverty franchise. I mean, they hung a banner in my lifetime that I remember cheering for. I mean, this was not that long ago. So this is a this is a team with a proud history, and we haven't had the number one pick since 1970. There's been some number two picks in there. Um, uh, there was the famous Darko Milicic swing and miss. You had Grant Hill in there. So there was some. There was some, Isaiah Thomas was a number two pick. So not a ton of history of Detroit drafting this high, and you happen to get it in the year to get it. This year and next year have absolute stars in them. Um, and the year after that, too, depending on when Imani Bates classifies. So this was definitely one of the years you wanted to get it, and the Pistons have it, and it completely changes the Detroit Pistons franchise. So if you are uh, if you weren't on the bandwagon before, you might want to hop on now. Especially, like you said, like you know, if this is a four-player draft. Like You need to be high. Got to get the guys. And Detroit's up there. And, and honestly, in their like recent history, this is about how it goes. You know, hang some titles in 89 and 90, and then you know, 14 years later, hang another one in 04. And now 17 years later, tide's turning again. Tide's turning, and they're starting to gear up. Um, as that relates to Michigan basketball, though, um, so we have the pick order. That's already been announced. Where do you think Franz Wagner goes in this? He's kind of been mocked as – as early as number seven and the last I've latest I've seen him go is like 12 or 13. He's definitely, definitely a lottery guy. So uh, I've got the order here starting at five. It's Orlando, Oklahoma city, Minnesota, which goes to golden state, Chicago, which goes to Orlando, Sacramento, new Orleans, Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana, golden state that rounds it out. Which one of those teams do you think would target a Franz Wagner and where would you like to see him go? Uh, give me after Golden State and give me eight to 12. Uh, after Golden State is going to be Orlando again, Sacramento, New Orleans Pelicans, Charlotte, San Antonio, Indiana, Golden State. A lot of interesting options in there. Um, I could see Orlando going after him. I could easily see Orlando being a team for him. I don't see Golden State because of Andrew Wiggins already being there. It feels, you know, Honestly, similar body build, similar a lot of things. I don't see him going to New Orleans. I think it's Sacramento, Orlando. I really do. I I, I hate, I mean, but Sacramento kind of got burned on the Stauskas thing a few years ago. I don't know if that carries any weight with them. Yeah, the, the one thing about Franz Wagner, though, is he's one of a select handful of guys that can come in and contribute to a contending team now. Him, Davion Mitchell... Um, Chris Duarte from Oregon, uh, maybe James Booknight from UConn, depending on what you're asking. There's some guys that you expect to come in. I mean, Cunningham at number one is going to come in and immediately raise your floor and your ceiling. So I would love to see him. Six might be too early, or um, or excuse me, seven for him to go to Golden State. They might target Davion Mitchell there. But if he's still there at 14, I know there is some um, positional duplication there with Andrew Wiggins, but Wiggins might be a part of a, a trade package. You know, he's got a, a salary that very much could could mean he's part of a trade package. Golden State, he would they would love to have his playmaking, shooting, and defense. That fits with what they want to do. But what about Charlotte? Charlotte, a team yeah. that's kind of right on the fringe there of being a playoff team that they expect to be competing now. Get somebody that's a little more seasoned that can be a secondary creator for you outside of LaMelo Ball. I wouldn't hate that, seeing him play with LaMelo Ball and have that be your, your kind of one-two punch as far as your playmakers. 
That's that's a really good one. I like that fit a lot. I think he could come right in, be really seamless, like you said, a creator to kind of take some of the pressure off Lamelo at all times. Really coming come in, run the second unit off the bank as a rookie. I think, yeah, I like that a lot. You convinced me. All right, good. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page as we are 77 percent of the time. But uh, that's really it for news. Unless I mean, is there oh, anything? There I'm... was news today, sir. Oh yes, there was. That was late in the day. Yes, please. Yes, Michigan landed its 2022 quarterback in Jaden Denegal. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I just saw it as I was leaving work. Well, JD has committed 2022 four-star quarterback. This was a big get and just came out of kind of nowhere for us. Like he's committing today. Awesome. Yeah, it was looking a little rough. Um, Things are starting to turn around with some crystal balls, you know, turning Michigan's way. Had to get a quarterback in this cycle. It was looking like we were going to take some three stars that maybe – not as heralded and the stars at this point in the, in the game don't really mean too much. There's going to be a lot of that changing. Um, and this guy, you know, for all we know, he was a three star and then Michigan recruits him and that jumps him up to a four star. That happens a lot when a big high profile team like Michigan recruits you. So I need to watch some tape. This just happened, but I'm, I'm excited getting a four star quarterback. Um, seems like a dual threat based on like the little that I've seen potential for dual threat. So yeah, I mean, this is great. Had to get one in this cycle. Yeah, classified at 6'4", 215 as a pro Oof. style, but like you said, has that athleticism. And I feel like almost any elite pro style quarterback at this point is a dual threat and right. can make the plays happen. And the biggest thing, too, with this is he was also looking at Michigan State, and we keep another one away from East Lansing. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just like looking at some early videos here. So um, the first one was a run, but then the rest have been from the pocket. So, yeah, I mean, definitely Harbaugh wants more of a pocket passer. So, yeah, this is exciting. And I'm excited to see how this class shapes up. Now you've got your signal caller. That's usually the most important one to knock out. And now we can kind of fill things out from there. Yeah, J.J. McCarthy is going to need a backup. Exactly. We've already got we've got McCarthyism in full effect. So, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Time to get into the meat of this podcast. This is something we were tossing around in the last couple of weeks, but you know, it's off season now trying to look for some content. And in doing so, we were looking back at two recent seasons, the first one being the 2013 season. And we were absolutely baffled by this season. And we're going to get into why it's a baffling season. It doesn't make any sense. So we kind of wanted to go back, look at this season and ask what could have been with this season. Because it was, to call it bizarre, really seems like an understatement. Yeah, when I just thought about this season just from, you know, recollections, without, like, looking into anything, I remember the Notre Dame under the lights. I remember the nail-biter against Ohio State. I remember Devin Gardner and just a few other moments. But digging into this, every game has a memorable moment, for better or for worse. And none of the season makes sense. Like, you could convince me this team should have been 9-3, and three, undefeated three and nine like it just it it does not make sense at all no absolutely and I'm with you what I remembered about this season was kind of Devin Gardner Jeremy Gallon I was like oh that was the Gardner Gallon season and I was at the under the lights game so that was naturally what stood out Um, but the more that we dove into it it was kind of like oh yeah that happened oh yeah that happened wait are you kidding me this was that season this happened like it was every like you said every game had something weird that made it memorable for better or for worse. You know, it ended up being a lot more for the worse as things went along, but still a really fascinating season that we're pretty excited to dive into. This is just like if a TV show could reach like Soprano levels greatness. And then I don't know, young Sheldon Lowe's. I have no idea. Like it just makes no sense. Like nail biters against Akron and Ohio State happened in the same year. Yeah, it's absolutely bizarre. So let's get into this. The 2013 season, this is Brady Hoke coming into year three. Uh, his second season was an eight and five season. Obviously, the 2011 season was the the great Ohio State victory and then the Sugar Bowl win. Eight and five come down a little bit, but very difficult schedule. We had to open up with Alabama. So this season was kind of seen as a bit of a transition year because he's bringing in a lot of his guys. The uh, 2011 recruiting class, really not much to speak on, but 2012 and 2013 were excellent. Number six and number two in the nation, respectively. So he's starting to get his guys in there, seeing improvements on defense. Um, Coming into this season, we know that it's going to be Devin Gardner for the first time. So there was a lot of excitement. I know you and I were both Gardner guys. And it was, I, I think... 
tell me if I'm wrong here. I felt like this was very much like a transition year, but it's one of those years where like we went seven and five in that Harbaugh year. Like maybe there's reason for optimism, but this could be a weird year. Yeah, I'm with you definitely as a transition year, but after the Devin Gardner openings, I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't a transition year and everything kind of skyrocketed with expectations. Similar to 2017 with like, man, this is going to be a down year. Then you open the season beating Florida in a marquee game. So your expectations start to rise a little too high. And I think that was very similar to what happened here because we thought Devin Gardner was going to win the Heisman after Notre Dame. At one point, he was listed amongst Heisman candidates. He wasn't leading it, but he was right there in the top three. I believe that was after the night game at Notre Dame. So uh, you want to kind of go through this schedule, just not game by game and break it down, but just to give you, you know, to, to remind you of what happened in this season. Yeah, yeah. Let's start here with Central Michigan. Just complete, typical season opener ass beating. Michigan wins 59-9. Nothing really to, to decipher there. Yeah, that's usually how it goes. First game of the year, it's at the big house. Yeah. No, next game, Notre Dame night game. Devin Gartner goes completely nuts. Yes, absolutely. So in that Notre Dame victory at night that I was there, that my buddy got too drunk and thrown out of, uh, he was 21 for 33, 294, four touchdowns, one interception. Also carried the ball 18 times for 82 and another touchdown. Gallon in that game had eight catches, 184 yards, three touchdowns. Gardner's rocking number 98. It's bizarre. It's weird. I didn't like it, but then as soon as he started balling out, I immediately loved it. And we got a Heisman candidate, and the world makes sense after game two. You summed it up perfectly with number 98. If he's playing well, I loved it. But when he was playing poorly this season, I hated it. <laughs> Dumb. Why, like, why is it stupid, 98? Why is that stupid number throwing interceptions? Uh, <laughs> blaming it on that, the aesthetic of it. Uh, all right, week three, Michigan plays Akron at home. Almost blew this one. We'll get into it. It took a goal line stand to win this game against Akron. We took the lead with just under three minutes to go from Fitz Toussaint. Then Akron, of course, drives down the field and gets the third and one at the one. and Our third and one at the two, excuse me. And then decides to run a power toss. Because all great plays start in the backfield close to the goal right. line. <laughs> yeah, when you need one yard at the two, you should start out two yards behind. The and they ran it out of shotgun. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, that Akron's where things really start to get weird in this season. All right, Michigan wins that 28-24. Week four, Michigan travels to UConn, to East Hartford. Which is and, weird. <laughs> very strange. And, uh, you know, with the roaring crowd of 42,000 at hand. <laughs> Scores 10 unanswered in the fourth quarter to win 24-21. Yeah, and I do remember this part of the season because after Akron and UConn, um, it was so hard to know. Because you're like, well, we just smoked Notre Dame at night in our house, but then we go on the road to UConn. I mean, and Akron was at home, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Akron yeah. was at home. And had UConn to travel had to lost to Towson that season. Yeah. <laughs> so it was so hard at this point in the season to know what we had. Yeah, it did. and then to make things even weirder, play Minnesota next, who is a good team this year. And Michigan finished the first Michigan game since 2011 without a turnover. First Devin Gardner start without throwing a pick. The team didn't attempt to pass in the first quarter. <laughs> but Gardner still finishes 13 for 17, 235 and a touchdown in a Michigan blowout win, 42-13. 13 for 235 is slinging it. That's yeah. not that many attempts. <laughs> like, no, he did it in three quarters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's slinging it. So again, the madness continues, like coming off two mid mid major programs, UConn barely qualifies as mid major and then destroying a good Minnesota team under Jerry kill. Yeah, it, it was very bizarre. Yeah. That Jerry kill the Jerry kill years. He fielded competent teams. Yeah. Very good. The good season for them. So, all right, Michigan five and oh, we get there. Think things are rolling. Devin Gardner's Heisman hype is tailed, but still playing decent football. Um, next comes Penn State, second year under the restrictions and penalty from the uh, Joe Paterno scandal and all of that. And Michigan has the lead. Everything looks good. And then Christian Hackenberg, true freshman, drives the ball down the field, has the famous Allen Robinson play at the one-yard line, which he now infamously has tattooed on his leg. Lance. Then they go on to win. And what is it, four overtimes, which becomes the longest game in Michigan history? Yep, four overtimes, and it was at that point the longest game in Michigan history. So once again, we're six games into this, and every game outside of Central Michigan has had something weird. Yeah, so Michigan loses 43-40 to in just 
I don't know. This was ridiculous. So next yeah, week. We'll get into it. <laughs> next week, Indiana. Naturally, you know, Michigan's offense that kind of sputters at times puts up 63. Michigan wins 63 to 47. Jeremy Gallon has 14 catches for 369 yards. The Gallon game. Definitely remember that one. Another like asterisk, not an asterisk, but like another check mark in the boxes of like memorable moments. 369 yards. That's I don't remember ever watching a game where a receiver had that kind of stat line. Do you? No, you can't do this in a video game. Like this it, is, It'd be tough. This is ridiculous. Yeah, just the simulation is fully broken at this point. We don't have quarterbacks that throw for 369 anymore. No, Jeremy Gallon did this on his own. Just literally just Thanos that I'll do it myself. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. <laughs> and, right, continuing on the weird season, Michigan runs into the best Michigan State team probably ever gets destroyed 29 to six and finishes with negative 48 rushing yards, a Michigan worst. Yeah. The negative 48 rushing yard game. So once again, you've got a program record, the fewest yards rushing of all time for a Michigan program. Well, to continue the trail of tears here, we march on the Nebraska lose 17 to 13 in the first home loss under Brady Hoke. I do not remember this game at all. No, I kind of forgot it. I think after, Michigan State just kind of blacked out for like two weeks. I think it must have been. Yeah, I must have started taking peyote around then. Yeah, I was back, back on that. the magic dragon. Back yeah. on that again. <laughs> I guess I came back to life, though, the following week when Michigan wins in triple overtime against Northwestern 27-19. to And this game is most famous for the last second field goal by Brendan Gibbons. So let's set this up. Let's paint the picture. Third down, 18 seconds to go. Completed pass, I believe... I believe it was to Gallon. I believe so. Mm -hmm. And then he catches the ball, goes down. It stands up with 12 seconds to go. Short of the first. Short of the first down, inbounds. Offense runs off the field. Special teams runs on the field in a span of 12 seconds. Drew Dilio slides into position, catches the snap. Brendan Gibbons hits a 44-yarder and sends it to overtime. Does this game even, do we even talk about this if it doesn't happen to be raining? Like just all of the things that needed to happen for that kick to be converted. The Dilio slide, because it was a wet day out there, he's able to get like an extra foot on his ridiculous slide and get into position. It's a fascinating play. It's, if you have time, just go back and watch the final drive of regulation in this. It's an absolute treat. And you're going to think Michigan's going to lose every play. Devin Gardner breaks two tackles on a fourth and four. Almost throws a straight interception. The guy drops it because it's wet and raining. Like, none of this game makes sense and just continues with the theme of the season. Yeah, so, the Dilio slide game. Yep, we've got another check mark. Keep going. <laughs> so, we march on game 11 here to Iowa. Michigan is leading... Is it 21-10 at halftime of this yep, game? 21-10. and 21-7, then... sorry. 21-7, and then, it, yeah, the Dad Rudock game. <laughs> yeah, Michigan's up 21-7 at half, 21-14 after three, and then Iowa outscores Michigan 10 to nothing in the fourth behind Dad Rudock, who threw three picks in this game, and <laughs> Michigan didn't finish with over 100 yards of passing offense or rushing offense absolutely fell apart in the second half and it feels so dirty to talk about dad rudock doing this to us when he's clearly a michigander now and this has, uh this yeah this game makes no sense the stat line of this all the numbers like iowa had like 400 yards to michigan's like 150 like this game was awful the fact that michigan even had a lead is just it, it helps and then the final yeah, the second game, half the second half of this game is unwatchable yeah don't don't do that it was 18 degrees at kickoff there at kickoff Oof. Yeah, not. Have you ever had a good time watching a game at Kinnick? I haven't. No, I mean, if it's at Kinnick, I'm probably watching through closed fingers or like I'm putting on a Marvel movie in the background to, you know, serve as a warm blanket. Just just something, something. Yeah. And and then they add the best tradition in college football, waving to sick children at the hospital. Like, yeah, which so you can't even hate on them or talk shit. No, you can't say anything. It's like, this is the awesome tradition. Like, God, stop it. And stop it. You're so likable. Final game of the season. Arguably one of the two with 2016 in mind, the most memorable Ohio State game that did not result in a Michigan win this decade. Yeah, 2016's number one. This is number two. This one gets forgotten, though. 2016 gets talked about so much, probably because we really felt like we won that one, not just with the goal line stand. I mean, we've spent years debating it. I mean, any of the calls that you wanted to call in the 2016 game. In this game, we we had, uh, Devin Garner breaks his foot in like the first quarter 
And then like he drives us in the last three of the four drives, drives us down to score touchdowns with a broken foot. This game by far most memorable for the two point conversion fail at the end. Brady Hoke doesn't even think about it. He says, we're going for two doesn't hesitate, which at the time I loved. And even on revisiting, I love this game is a movie. They were tied 14, yeah. 14 after the first 21, 21 at half. Then Ohio state goes up 14 at the end of the third. And Michigan almost mounts the rally, outscoring them 20-7 to in the fourth, falling just short of completing the comeback. This was a movie. This was an absolute movie game. And you even add the hero quarterback that loved Michigan, that, you know, sat behind Denard Robinson, waiting, you know, biding his time, and he refuses to go out with the broken foot. Like, give me a break. I'd watch this movie on repeat. This, this I just remember watching this man. They said the game is over. Ohio State's got the lead. They have the ball, and then Carlos Hyde fumbles. And oh my god, the sequence of events of this game's. I was so into this because my expectations were so low coming in. Ohio State was third in the country. Michigan was unranked, and then Hope got the guys up for it. And then the comeback in the fourth quarter. Just seeing a Michigan team finish an Ohio State game like this felt. Oh my god! On the rewatch, I was so I was so into it. I felt like we were gonna win. Dude, every time I watched it, um, that one was interesting because I was so down on Michigan at that point. I was like, we're going to get smoked by Ohio State. Usually I do something for Michigan, Ohio State, whether it's have people over, go to a bar and like rent a room. On this one, it was just me at the bar that I worked at by myself. All of a sudden, this game starts going crazy. And I'm like, turn off every other game, put it on three TVs, surround me, get the surround sound going. Like I'm just taking over the bar, just me watching this game, screaming like a lunatic. It was so fun to watch. I mean, it was one of the, like you said, it was like a movie playing out. And man, it's it, it's going to be fun to revisit this. Why and... do we love Devin Gardner? His stat line for this game, 32 of 45 for 451, four touchdowns and no picks. A, with a broken foot against the best team we faced all year, they were number three in the country, Gamer. Yeah, that Gamer. was... Gamer. Jeremy Gallon, nine from 175. Again, Gamer. stepping up, man. And then, oh, oh my God. But it's- yeah, it's fun. All right, so we're going we're gonna to get into this. We're going to talk about some of the players, and then we're going to go, uh, we're going to talk, uh, you know, just what went wrong, what went right, and what could have been. But before we do, I'd like to take a moment to talk about Homefield Apparel, our newest sponsor out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, very affordable sportswear brand one of the largest and most comprehensive selections of college apparel in the game right now. I also love that the ad goes up for like a 20% off. I make my order and it's there within a couple days. It's just waiting for me. I get to throw on my new shirt, my new hoodie. It's like 97 degrees now. So the hoodies are in storage. It's t-shirt time, baby. Since you're listening to us, you're probably a Michigan fan. They've got you covered with all the old school and new school designs. You can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. All right, man. So let's kind of talk about this 2013 as far as the the 2013 team as far as the players, because you probably forget a, a lot of you know who was on this team and who was in the key positions. So let's talk about some of the key players. Uh, you want to you want to start on offense? Let's start on offense with the man, the myth, the legend, Devin Gardner. Has there yes. ever has there been a more feast or famine quarterback you can remember? Um who was the dude, uh, Drew Henson? <laughs> like, it's been a minute. De- Devin Gardner just makes no sense because the bigger the moment, the better he was. It's like if you put Devin Gardner against Ohio State or Notre Dame, he's fantastic. If you put him against UConn or Akron, he just falls apart. De- Devin Gardner just doesn't make sense in the simulation. <laughs> it doesn't. And, man, after re-watching some tape, though, I'm such a Devin Gardner defender. The amount that this man had like one second before someone was in his face and then just had to try and run backwards and make something happen. Like they did him dirty with the offensive line. Um, at running back, Fitz Toussaint, last guy to, before Karan to rush for a thousand. Before him, it was it was a while. You know, it was it's Fitz, it's Karan, and then there's there's a bit of a gap. This team could not run the ball at all. Fitz Toussaint led this team in rushing with 648 and only averaged three and a half yards a carry this season. It was rough. And rewatching, that's the thing you notice is like, I can't believe we did as well as we did with this offensive line. No, Devin Gardner was the second leading rusher on this team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he had to. He was running for his life. So many broken plays. Uh, number one receiver, Jeremy Gallon. This was the Jeremy Gallon year. I mean, he went for what, 13? I, I think 1373. 1300. Yep, 1373. 
I mean, which is a monster year. 389 of them, 369 of them came in one game, but nonetheless. Yeah, his one game would have made him the third leading receiver on this team. (laughs) There's your stat. Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Chesson was on the team as a freshman, um, and he was probably the third wide receiving option. So, I mean, that goes to show you it was Gallon, and then who was Gallon, Funchess, but Chesson. Funchess, yeah. Funchess, who had moved to wideout. Yes, correct. Yeah, Funchess went out there as a big body. Jake Butt got a ton of run there at tight end, third leading receiver that year. Then Chesson, then Fitz Toussaint. Yeah, so, I mean, that is that is rough. A freshman Jake Butt's your third leading receiver. Yeah, and then freshman J.U. Chesson's fourth. Yeah, I mean, they, they could not really get the ball to their wide receivers, and we just didn't have anybody. We had, like, Siante York, Demario Jones. Like, it was, Jeremy it was Jackson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chesson and Darbo were on the roster, but they weren't the Chesson and Darbo we know and love. It made no sense. And is everybody else on offense you want to touch on? Derek Green was still there. Taylor Lewan, the best player on the offense. That's oh – God, I love Taylor Lewan. He was just yep. dominant. Yep, Kyle – the offensive line was the uh, – that was like the Kyle Kalis, Ben Bredesen. Uh, Graham Glasgow was on that Bredesen line. Bredesen wasn't yep. there yet. Yeah, Glasgow was there though. Yeah, yeah, Glasgow was there. So you had Luan and Glasgow on the line, but um, it wasn't it wasn't fully developed. Graham Glasgow. I also don't think he was starting. No, he mo- he he was at left guard, and then he kicked to center because our starting center was so bad that year. And yeah, they, then our, they had to bring oh in a replacement God. guard. Yeah, our center all the way right guard and right tackle was rough, rough that year. And then uh, Dennis Norfleet. I just just because I wanted to say his name, you know. I- I'd never get tired of watching the clip of him dancing at the night it's, game. It's, it's enjoyable. It pleases me. It's just it's just a, a, a nice name too. This guy just looks like a you hear Dennis, I think he's just a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh that's that's my buddy Dennis. <laughs> and then Norfleet is like kind of a dope last name. Yeah, Dennis Norfleet helped me move once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dennis, uh, can you help me uh do my taxes here? It's been uh, it's been a strange fiscal year. <laughs> uh who stands out to you on this defense? Uh, Blake Countess was a guy that we just kind of forgot about, forgot all about Blake Countess, but I mean, he had a serviceable career in the NFL and he was our best defensive back. He had four picks and he's the first guy Six picks, six picks. Yeah. Excuse me. First with more than four cents. You got to go way back. Oh, nine. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go back a ways and then it hasn't happened since. So Blake Countess, um, this hat you had, I mean, if you just go through the names that are on this defense, you're starting to see what's coming in 2015 and 16 because it's Stribling, it's Lewis, it's. Uh, Mike McRae was actually playing a lot on this team. Um, but James Ross was a big contributor. Jared Wilson, Diamante Thomas, Chris Charlton. Wormley. Wormley's on this defense. Jake Ryan is coming off the ACL in this year. So this wasn't a big Jake Ryan year. He didn't come back until later in the season, and he wasn't nearly the same player he was. But I freaking love Jake Ryan. He's absolute chaotic energy. So he was one of my favorite players on this defense. Um, other guys, Frank Clark, Willie Henry, Ryan Glasgow. Just tons of big names on this defense man it's yeah it's, a lot of them are freshmen at this point though a lot of them are freshmen and one of my favorite stats on this defense is ju chesson had more tackles than demonte thomas wow that doesn't really make any sense so all right so we've got it, it makes no sense all right we've got the stage set we've got the players when we come back we're talking about this season just as a whole trying to make any sort of sense of this thing we'll talk about that and more when we get back All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are doing the What Could Have Been podcast, talking about the 2013 season. And in the first half there, we kind of went game by game, talked about just the weirdness that was the season, went over some of the players, some of the names we're going to be talking about. Now we're just going to try and figure out what the hell happened this year for the good, for the bad, and everything in between. So we broke this down into categories. We are big fans of The Ringer. And they do a uh, rewatchables podcast and they have their categories to break down like movies or TV shows. We're doing it for a season. So we've got our categories. First category, turning point of the season. I feel like we're both going to be on the same page here. (laughs) Honestly, you could just point to a bunch of things. You could say the Notre Dame game was like the Super Bowl of this season and everything went downhill after that. (laughs) You could say that and you wouldn't be that far off. I, for me, my turning point is the Penn State loss. It's the Allen Robinson catch specifically. It's that famous catch. I think it was Jared Wilson who he mossed. 
or might have been Blake Countess. I can't remember. I try not to rewatch bad things. So sure. I've sk- I skipped that play. But yeah, down at the one, that play, sending it to overtime. Michigan ultimately losing in triple overtime. Really swung the season after the first loss. I agree with yep. you. That's where I was looking. I mean, we did come back and beat Indiana after that and, and really housed Indiana. But that, I think that their confidence, because if you win that, you're 6-0 and at that point. I mean, then you're going to 7-0 against Indiana. If you're sitting at 7-0, and you're up there in the top 10. The highest we got ranked was after uh, the Notre Dame and Minnesota wins. We got up to number 11. So beating Penn State on the road at Penn State, that moves us up into the top 10. We don't get that. We never get higher than 11 again. I would agree, um, but maybe it's the Michigan State game would be really the only other conceivable choice because it must have killed your confidence to get negative 48 rushing yards. And Devin Gardner, horrible game. I mean, not because he was performing horribly. He had no chance. It was just a horrible game to be a part of. This, like I said, this was the best Michigan State team of the decade. The only team they lost to that year was Notre Dame. They went on to win the Big Ten by beating Ohio State and then beat Stanford in the Rose Bowl. Like, this team was awesome. And I hate yeah. to say that because I despise all things Sparty, but it was just a buzzsaw. There was nothing you could do in this game. The defense and, was ridiculous. And we had an atrocious offensive line, and it really showed. And this maybe was where the uh, the cracks in Brady hoax armor started to really not just show, but they started to expand because it was year three, and his best offensive line was by far the first year in 2011. He brought in these guys, and there just wasn't the development you would have hoped to have seen at this point in the year, um, both in the Penn State game, but way more so in that Michigan State game. You just weren't seeing the offensive line coming together at all. So I agree with you, turning point there. So why is it that Brady Hoke's an offensive line guy but can't get an offensive line, and Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback guy that can't get a quarterback? <laughs> Brady Hoke was a D-line guy, I believe. I don't know what guy he was. He was some kind of guy, just clapping Fred Flintstone. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure he worked at a rock quarry and went home to Wilma every <laughs> yeah. day. That's the kind of guy he was. Well, if he was a D-line guy, he gave up 226 rushing to Carlos Hyde and a buck 53 to Braxton Miller in the same game. Yeah, no, either way, it wasn't great. But yeah, he was a D-line guy. Um, the O-line coach, Borges was the offensive who was our offensive line coach back then? Do you remember? Santa Claus? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, Fred Flintstone out there, Santa Claus. We had the all-fat guy team between Borges and Hoke, Madison. <laughs> we had all-fat old white guys. Dr. Mario coaching the DBs. Yeah. <laughs> John Goodman over there on linebackers. <laughs> um, all right, so turning point, We're bo- let's both go with Penn State. I agree. Uh, best moment of the season. This is tough. There are a lot, and Notre Dame night game, the Ohio State. The Dilio slide? Dilio slide. I'm going with this. I I know what you're going to pick. I'm going with the touchdown at Ohio State right before the two-point conversion because I don't know if I've ever had any more just belief that Michigan was going to just defy the odds and win this game undefeated against number three Ohio State at home. Just score the touchdown. We're going for two. That was my legit favorite moment of this season. I was never happier than that moment. Uh, that'd be right up there for the best moments of the Brady Hoke era. Yeah. That was great. Um, I don't know that I can choose it because, A, the play call was awful. Yep. With a with a quarterback with a broken foot to call a quarterback sneak You know, for the two-point conversion. This guy's been an absolute gamer, and he's been chucking the ball. Jeremy Gallon's having a huge game. So the play call is part of it. And then, yeah, we didn't get it. Yeah, mine's you know? just like the touchdown and then the that moment. I got you. Yeah. I remember that moment. And it was awesome because he goes, go for two. And look, you and I both said off air, it was probably the right call. I still I still think it's the right call. I just didn't like the play call. 100%. Your team's unranked playing the number three team. You go for, you're at home. Go for you're two. Let's go. You're like, at home and you win it right there and walk off. He, the good thing, though, is that probably buys him an extra year. So maybe it was a good thing that didn't work. So I don't know that we could have done another year under Hoke. Yeah, if, if he had, if he'd scored there, he'd still be the head coach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if if an undefeated Michigan team took down the number three team, we'd still be dealing with Brady Hoke. It'd be it'd be rough. He still wouldn't be wearing a headset. But we'd have that victory. But we'd have that victory, which. I don't know. (laughs) That could sustain me for a few years. Feels pretty good going on year eight celebrating this win. It still keeps me warm at night. Been celebrating the 2011 win for a decade now, damn it. Oh, yeah. All right, what's your your best moment of the year? 
doesn't quite gird my loins. Uh, well, I was at the Notre Dame night game, yep. so it's a little different, and I don't want to choose that, but it also was like at the end of that game, we had a Heisman contending quarterback wearing for some reason number 98, but whatever, and that was pretty awesome. I just went to a night game, my first ever, the second ever in Michigan history. We house Notre Dame. It looks like we have a legit quarterback, wide receiver connection. Fitz Toussaint looks good. The offensive line looked good in that. For me, like, I was riding pretty high at that point. So it's that. And then, like, it just got so weird after that that it was hard for me to buy in. Obviously, I bought in during the Ohio State game. Yeah. But for a lot of the season leading up to that, I had kind of lost my hope. So I would say I'm going to go Notre Dame because I was there. And, yeah, I just remember it being really, really awesome that night. Just, I mean, you can't go wrong with that. Devin Gardner accounting for five total touchdowns, wearing number 98. Just, <laughs> <laughs> I love that now. We just hate it. Do you want, do you just, do you want just a completely unrelated, like, Tom Harmon trivia question? Yeah, of course I do. Do you know who Tom Harmon's son is? Jack. Oh, it's, uh, didn't he play for us for a while? He played for UCLA. He's quarterback. Yeah, okay. Mark um, Harmon, the yeah, lead, yeah, Mark Harmon, yeah. lead actor uh, on NCIS. NCIS, yeah, yeah. I did know that because he was at the Michigan game. That's why I remember it. Yeah, so. He was he was there at the Notre Dame night game, I'm pretty sure. And I'm like, isn't that the guy from NCIS? What are you doing here? We could have used him taking some reps quarterback in parts of this season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you figure out what happened to Kyle Kalis. Why don't you use your keen detective skills there? <laughs> If you found Ian Bunting, Detective Jethro, if you found him, sorry, Special He's Agent missing. Jethro. <laughs> Um, all right, man. Game we should have won. There's, there's some, there's a couple here. There, there are a few here. I'm gonna go. I want to say Ohio State, but really shouldn't have even been in that game. Honestly, doesn't make a yep. lot of sense. Yep. I could go Iowa, except the Iowa fact that they out, a lot of sense. outgained us and everything. I'm gonna go Penn State though, having the lead, uh, a touchdown lead, with two minutes to go with the, uh, Penn State having the ball 80 yards away with a freshman quarterback. They're, come on. We should have won this game walking away and moved to 6-0. and Probably so. It's that or the Iowa one where we were up 21-7 at the half, but it was at Kinnick. Weird things yep. happen at Kinnick. Weird things happen at Happy Valley, but this was an unranked Penn State team. Like you said, they were in the middle of the sanctions. Yeah. I mean, they, this was a down Penn State team. It's tough to win at Happy Valley. But yeah, for a team that was really hanging their hat on defense, even though the numbers at the end of the season don't really support us having a good offense or defense, at this time we thought we were primarily a defensive team. So to not get that stop, yeah, I'd say we should have won the Penn State game. I could go with the the Nebraska game. We lost 17-13, but I don't remember it. <laughs> I don't remember it. That happened? <laughs> yeah, they had Tommy Armstrong throwing passes to Amir Abdullah. Okay, I remember those players. Yeah, I, that's about all I remember. Besides it being the first home loss, on it was so unforgettable. It was tied 10-10 heading into the fourth, and then they outscored us 7-3 to in the fourth. <laughs> yeah, just a game that yeah lost to the annals of time there. So, uh, all right, we're both going Penn State on that one. Yep, Penn State. Game we should have lost. Once again, there's candidates. <laughs> Akron, for God's sakes. Akron running the the, the power toss out on, of the, on the two-yard line. Two yard line. Uh, UConn, who had a 10-point lead at home like in, in East Hartford. Nobody <laughs> just goes into East Hartford. Look, East Hartford is the lion's den. You Don't, don't you talk down about those Huskyites. <laughs> Took 120 yards of Fitz Toussaint to win that one. Um... Northwestern had no business winning that game. It's got to be Northwestern. When you ran down that play, 11 seconds with the clock running, or 12 seconds, right, with yep. the clock running yeah. to get your to get your guys off the field, your offense off the field, your special teams on the field, get your kicker set, and then to get the ball up. It required Drew Dilio sliding into position, and he happened to time the slide right. Could yeah. you do that? It was, Could you just walk out onto a field and be like, I need to end up right there. I'm going to start my slide here. It's fascinating. I want to break down the physics of that slide. It makes no sense. And the fact that it was a 44-yard field goal. We yeah, couldn't, it was a chip shot. We couldn't, wait. we couldn't hit that with time to set up, a couple timeouts, and two practice shots. No, you could. <laughs> no, Quentin Ordine, you could have massaged his leg all day. He could have been eating Kobe beef in a hot tub. 
come out there and he's going to absolutely kill someone on the sideline. <laughs> you could give him all day to set up. He would have kicked that ball to Quebec. Brendan yeah. Gibbons just drills a 44-yarder nonchalantly and sends it to overtime. This game makes no sense. Michigan had no business winning. None. Absolutely not. No. How many I times does this happen with Northwestern? Was it 2018? We're down 17 to nothing at Northwestern. And then Karan Higdon goes crazy in the second half and we come back and win. Yeah, I mean, Northwestern, if I were a Northwestern fan, I'd be like, great, Michigan again. Can't wait to see what sort of nonsense they come up with to barely beat us this time. <laughs> exactly. Just like, yeah, we're going to lead at halftime and some, find a way to blow it again. Yeah, true nonsense <laughs> in the Northwestern game. Yeah, we're once again in total agreement. All right, this next category requires a little bit of setup because we are both fans of the Mismatch podcast on The Ringer. Chris Vernon, one of our podcast idols, his uh, his catchphrase is what What are we doing here? What, 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 we say it a lot. So, in in honor of Chris Vernon, the the Chris Vernon, what are we doing here? Moment of the season where it was just inexplicable. There's once again a lot of candidates. A a, a lot of candidates. All right, negative forty eight rushing yards. Oh top candidate for me but what else do we got uh i'd like to nominate akron for running a power toss out of shotgun at the two yard line what are we doing here what are we what are we doing here being down against akron speak of what are we doing here what are we doing in east hartford what are we literally what are we doing here how does this end up that one yukon was it forty two thousand people that's like chrysler arena it's like Chrysler Arena for like a mid-season game against Penn State in basketball. Yeah, that, that's that's trash. I don't know why we would ever travel to UConn. The Ohio State game, running Devin Gardner with a broken foot. What are we doing here? <laughs> I all right. My my favorite pick is just, it has to be. Um, I'm just gonna go with going to UConn. Why were we at UConn? <laughs> Literally, what are we doing here? <laughs> No, I'm absolutely with you in the sense that it is a literal, what are we doing here? Why Why did we fly this entire team to UConn? We got the big house sitting just unoccupied for a weekend. Yeah, it's fine. They're just, they're just going to host like, some barbecue there for, I don't know, 4-H club. It's I have Michigan. no idea. Go play at like MetLife Stadium or something. Like, yeah. Do, do you know what the name of UConn Stadium is? They don't even know. It doesn't have a name. Hey, let me see if I can find this. Uh, the name of UConn. The Rat's Nest. <laughs> Come on, the Husky Den. No, um, uh, no, it's Retchler Field. I'm on a Retchler just thinking about it. <laughs> and 42,000 fans there, most of them children. <laughs> most of them children. They bust in a bunch of inner city children without homes. It was one. the largest crowd in the stadium's history. My god. <laughs> Well, I mean, makes sense. They really showed up for that game. Almost upset us. How horrible would that have been, though? Yeah, they almost upset us, and they only converted one third down. That's disgusting. <laughs> Again, how can that be? What are we what doing are here? We doing here. <laughs> All right, I'm totally with you on UConn. All right, offensive MVP of the season, Devin Gardner. Oh, actually, I don't know. Oh. I don't know. Jeremy Gallon's numbers are insane. Give me Jeremy Gallon because yeah, that's harder to do. It it is harder to do what he was dealing with. Devin Gardner is is tough, but there was a lot of lows for Devin Gardner that season, and I feel like Jeremy Gallon was just all heat, just all gas, no breaks all season. The yeah, like the Michigan State game is not on him. He had like on average 0.3 seconds yeah. in the pocket before his world was crumbling. But the Akron game, three picks against Akron, that's yeah. rough. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, it's Jeremy Gowan who showed up day in and day out and put up more yards receiving in one game than, like, anybody except for, like, the, the one Shea Patterson game and the one Dag Rudock game. Yeah, like, was, I mean, that's more than our quarterbacks put up usually. His one game, like I said, is the third leading receiving game. Would, would have been the third leading receiver on the team just in one game. Yeah. Uh, Taylor Lewan? Any any love for Taylor Lewan here on a god-awful offensive line? It's He's in the conversation. He's definitely in there. But that offensive line was so bad. The production behind him was even worse. So Jeremy Gallon, who's 5'8 on his tiptoes, I mean, he is little. Right. But he was awesome, man. He was a ton of fun to watch. God, love. I miss Jeremy Gallon. Isn't he? Jeremy Gallon. Is he coaching somewhere? Uh, him and Devin Gardner went overseas and played together on the same team for a while. After that, I don't know what happened. Really tough for a 5'8 guy to stick. Yeah, I think, yeah, I remember 
Devin Garner wasn't even that fast. Yeah, Devin Garner's playing somewhere in China, like in Shanghai or something for a season. They they were still like you know integrating the forward pass there. Um, <laughs> yeah, they just discovered it in '93. So yeah, just uh, ever since then, no. Jeremy Gallon was last seen with the Alliance Atlanta team of the Alliance of American Football. So uh, a lot of alliance in that name. A lot of alliance. He's made appearances with the Jacksonville Sharks, the Nojima Sagamihara Rise of the X League. That's the name of the team. That's a that's a paragraph. I'm just making up things. He played for the Orlando Predators. I'm not going to make a joke. <laughs> it's there though. Play, yeah, he played for the Toronto Argonauts in 2015. Um, the Brooklyn Bolts. Of the Fall Experimental Football League, the, the <laughs> FXFL. That sounds like that was conducted in a laboratory with a bunch of experimental players that were, like came out of test tubes. Jeremy Gallon has played for more fun teams than anybody in history. Give me somebody else's resume that has the Brooklyn Bolts and the Nojima Sagimihara Rise on it. I dare you. I don't think that exists. All right, so we're going Gallon, both of us? Yeah, Gallon's MVP. Absolutely. Put it in there. Defensive MVP. This one's tough. This defense is an absolute anomaly. In some games, it was very clutch. And every I mean, we were really good in pass defense. What are the numbers? Uh, we had him. I had him up here. Uh, give me a second here for our pass defense. Um, number six pass defense somehow. Yeah, but that was in total yards. I think this was kind of the case that we didn't go up against very, very many good quarterbacks on our schedule. Connor Cook was the best quarterback we saw. Yeah, yeah, we made Connor Cook look like Brett Favre. <laughs> yeah, so um, you could go Blake Countess, Raymond Taylor, four picks this year. Um, you could go at the uh, who was our leading tackler? Wasn't it Joe Bolton? Raymond Taylor. Raymond Taylor with the leading tackler, just a forgotten guy. Yeah, he had 86 tackles. James Ross second, 84. Frank Clark had five sacks on the season, 12 and a half for loss. I'm not picking that guy. That guy chokeslammed a woman and just had an Uzi in his Lamborghini, which is a ridiculous sentence. And I, Yeah, cool I, I read that. An Uzi. Why do you need an Uzi? You're Frank Clark. Why do you... It was my bodyguards. Why does your bodyguard need an Uzi? Yeah, <laughs> No one, no one's after you, Frank Clark. I'd be afraid of Frank Clark with a sharp stick. Like, I'm afraid of just Frank Clark. Yeah. If you were nude in the shower and I had to drop on him with a gun. Yeah, if he had like a can of Gorilla Glue or something with, I'd be terrified. But what's I'd he be gonna... horrified? Like, what's he gonna do with that glue? Yeah. All right. So Frank Clark disqualified. I'm gonna go with Blake Countess here. The six picks, one touchdown on the season, just outstanding. Highly productive on this team. So no. Love that year. And plus, it was the first year had a corner with more than four picks since 09. And we had two of them this year. Dude, we would kill for six picks nowadays. From I one mean, guy? That's a lot. God. That's a lot. Yeah. So it makes, I guess he got used to, you know, picking off Devin Gardner so much in practice. So he was really, really good at it. Translated yeah. it into a game. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Blake Countess, which is weird. That, that's kind of weird. We forgot all about him. But six picks, man. That's Didn't he end up at Auburn? Didn't he graduate? They transferred to Auburn? Transferred to Auburn, had a good year, and then went on to have a pretty successful career, I think, with the Eagles and then the Rams. Played quite a bit in the NFL. All right, now let's compare the teams Blake Countess has played for up next to Jeremy Gallons. <laughs> They're going to be NFL teams compared to the Nokajima rise, so. Okay, yeah, he played for, well, he played for the Eagles three different times, which is kind of fun. <laughs> and he played for the Jets, the Rams, and that was it, released in March of this past year. Yeah, I remember him for the Eagles and the Rams being productive. So just this last year released. That's a great career. Good for him. Yeah, 2021, on March 9th, 2021, he was released by the Eagles in his third stint with the team. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking to Jordan Kovacs' parents, and they were very big on the, like, you need to get the... Uh... <laughs> wait, wait! <laughs> I've told you this. My stepdad knows Kovacs and his family. They're from right around where I'm at. Jeez, just bring them over. I got the Kovacs coming tonight. I got the Kovacs crew here. You got a stew going were... in the kitchen. <laughs> but they were talking about how it's so key to get the three years because then you get that disability, so... Yeah, Count is sticking for more than three. He's got that NFL disability check coming for the rest of his life. 
Nice. Good for him. Yeah. Great insight from the Kovacs family. Good from the, from the very lovely Kovacs Thanks, family. family. Huh. Yes, absolutely. All right, man. So let's what the biggest what if. I kind of want to reshape this question. All right, now let's do biggest what if, and then I have one final question. The big what if to finish this out. What is the biggest what if? Convert. I mean, this is a very open ended question. Convert the two point conversion against Ohio State. Yeah, it's, that's that's <laughs> pretty man. It has to be like that changes so much with Hoke, this team, his longevity. Yeah. What it, I mean, everything like we would have a statue of Devin Gardner. I would definitely have one, at least in my garden, because I like the pun with Gardner anyway. So it's sure, like this sure. would just be great. So, oh, my God. Yeah, that's got to be it. Because, I mean, if you do that with a broken foot, you're absolutely right. Your legend is with it's untouchable. Yeah. Doesn't matter what you do for the rest of your career. If you beat the number three team with a broken foot, with that stat line and what he did in that game, three of the final four drives, and we were down pretty big in that game. Down I've 14. Yeah, down 14 there. And then in the fourth quarter, Devin Gardner, touchdown, touchdown. Ohio State gets another touchdown. And then with 32 seconds left, Gardner gets in there. It's 41-42. Hope goes for two decides to do the quarterback sneak, which we already talked about. So, yeah, maybe the biggest what if is if you don't run the quarterback sneak, you let Gardner throw it. If you have to have just one play in your back pocket for that moment, like this is a play you dream about drawing right. up. and you Statue of Liberty. Just anything. Annexation just, of Puerto Rico. Just don't run. A, at least we didn't run a you know a power toss out of shotgun. Right, 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 right. That would have been Henry Pogi or something. What would Jim Harbaugh run in that situation? That's a great, great question. Is it 2015 Harbaugh? Because then I think it's probably something with the fullback, like some sort of weird fullback rolling out, trying to get the ball to Khalid Hill. Now with uh, with Gaddis, I think it's probably some sort of spread it out and get all of your wide receivers going and trying to get somebody crossing across the middle. Maybe um, rolling out with Cade Mack. He'd roll out. So He'd I, roll out now. I think... 2015, 2016, 2017 Harbaugh. It's Ben Mason, Khalid Hill, Pogi, somebody. Just we're not messing Going around for it. Pounding the ball right up the middle. I think he'd get a little creative. I think he'd probably try and throw the ball to them, like with some misdirection, because his those offenses in 15 and 16, which were our best red zone offenses, so good. were very much predicated on just getting guys off balance and getting a weird matchup, getting like a corner who's got to come out and meet Khalid Hill. You know, I think it would probably be something like that, but we're both on the same page. I think, yeah, I think now I'm with you. It's something similar to what we ran against Penn state. When you got Ronnie bell open, kind of like a pick route or something like that. And right. just kind of to confuse know, them, get them off balance, get a, a mismatch somewhere, get some kind of movement and Cade max fast enough to get in. You have way too many weapons, spread them out, confuse them, do something. But, Oh man, it would be, fun to be in that situation and convert but i don't know if my heart can take it no i don't want to do that again right now i'm too old no no i will i don't want to pick up smoking cigarettes again i don't need this yeah, yeah. i've been doing really well since <laughs> november of 2019 <laughs> been holding fast holding fast <laughs> all right so the the big what if kind of what we were doing this podcast for what should this season have amounted to? And what should we look back and think about this season? Was this overachieving? Was this underachieving? Was this right where we should have been? Man, that's a good question. So we should have lost to Sparty, which we did. Should have won. That's the only one where you look at it and you're like, oh, we didn't deserve to win that. Underachieved. I think this team should have been... Nine and three. We had no business beating Northwestern. Shouldn't have been that close against Ohio State, and should have we would have lost to Michigan State no matter what. But should have beaten Nebraska. Should have beaten Penn State. Should have blown out Akron and UConn. So I think it was. I think we fell short, but not by much. With that Iowa game too, having that lead and having figured something out, I get it. It's Kinnick. Mm -hmm. I know Dad Rudock really showed up in that second half, but a twenty-one-seven lead at the half. Really conservative in the second half, trying to just run Toussaint and just kind of nickel and dime down the field. I think that Gaddis or anybody other than Borges and Hoke opens that up a little bit yep. in the second half of Iowa. So I could have seen that being a big game to win. Yeah, it's just it's such a weird year because, like I said, you can convince me of nine and three, but easily convince me of three and nine as well. Yeah, so I think we probably ended up right where we should have. Um, that what kept us from what were the biggest deciding factors? What kept us from from going any further? 
and what uh, what kept us from being any worse? Passing consistency is, I would say, number one. Devin Gardner going from first team all world in the biggest stages and then third team district league middle school against <laughs> Akron and UConn. I would say that's there. I think, man, I, what do you think the biggest fact, what, what kept this team going? Um, I'll, I'll push back a little bit because I think it's offensive line play that led to the inconsistencies That's of fair. Devin Gardner. I'm a big Gardner guy. And upon rewatching some of these games, it's like, well, no wonder like third snap of the game, he's running backwards for his life, trying to like huck the ball out of bounds just to avoid some crazy sack. Like, how can you get into a rhythm? That's fair. When every third play, there's a guy right in your face and it's a completely broken pass play. So I would say it's offensive line consistency. I mean, we couldn't run the ball to save our lives. You know, 600-something no, yards was our leading rusher. Yeah, that's three and a half atrocious. yards of carry. Yeah, that's atrocious. So for me, it's that. What kept this team going, I think, is Devin Gardner. I think it's Gardner and Gallon kept the team going with some, like, timely defense. Defense showing up sometimes and then other times. Like, I wouldn't even say they really crapped the bed in that Penn State game. Allen Robinson is still a ridiculous pro. Yeah. Like, so to get... To get mossed by Allen Robinson is not some like terrible knock on you, but like it's it's probably in the other games and like couldn't really slow Michigan State down, um, couldn't stop Iowa in the second half of that game. Nebraska, I don't even know what happened in that game. That's you should win that game every time at home. This team just so. really thrived off the big moments, like the Notre Dame game, the Gallon game, the Northwestern madness, and there was always a hangover. This team just could not handle their hangovers. That's exactly what they'd have: a big moment, and then come right back down to earth. Big moment, right back down to earth. Yeah, they tried to get up for Ohio State, and they almost had that one last time. They just fell short. Yeah, one more thing I want to say because after this, you know, we might be a while before we get back to the Brady Hoke teams. Yeah. You look at the talent that was on this team this year, and like we said earlier, a lot of them were freshmen, a lot of the big names. But th- he had all the talent that Harbaugh had. He should have been able to figure it out, and it really goes to show that his player development was not, and, and especially on the offensive line, and especially on defense as well. Uh, his player development was so far behind some other coaches because there was talent on this team. Uh, Devin Gardner really is a big what if. Devin Gardner, you and I both think, could have been with a serviceable offensive line this year. We're talking 5,000 passing yards potentially. And like anybody that's above 5'8 as your leading wideout, you know, Funchess was pretty solid this year, but not great. So, yeah, some other what ifs is just hoax development on the offensive line, defensive line. If he had any of that, you know, this team would have been pretty solid. Brady Hoke, who is a head coach again at San Diego State. They yeah. went four and four this past season. Just saying. That sounds like a Brady Hoke season. Right back on par. He has a career winning record as a head coach and will probably go down as the most obscure coach in Michigan history, having gone Absolutely. from San Diego State to Michigan. Also, the only coach whose dishwasher is actually a pterodactyl. <laughs> a deep Flintstones guy. It did. And one last hope question for you. Who's more responsible for the 2011 success, Rich Rodriguez or Brady Hoke? Oh, man. That's so difficult because <laughs> – actually, I mean, no, no, no. It's, it's Hoke. Yeah. It's Hoke because the most important players on that team outside of Denard Robinson were actually Lloyd Carr guys, Damn. Mike Martin, David Mulk. So um, thank, th- thank you for bringing us Denard Robinson and Junior Hemingway and some other guys that were a big part of that. But you needed somebody to come in and, yeah, I mean, that that offense that we were running just doesn't work in the Big Ten. So, so yeah, I'll give it to Hoke. What, what do you think? I think so as well, but I do think Rich Rod should get a little more credit for that season. Like he yeah, got absolutely. I, I mean, glad he's gone, but, I mean, thank you for Denard Robinson. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Appreciate that much. Denard Robinson was definitely enjoyable. But you and I talked yeah. about we welcomed Devin Gardner because it was so nice to see a forward pass, you know. It was, it was nice to see it again. It was, it was. <laughs> Brother, this was a lot of fun. Uh, next week, we're going to do it again. Or should we uh, should we skip a week and then do it again? Let's skip one. Let everybody enjoy the fourth, and we're going to come back. Let us get another week of research. And we're going to dive into a more recent team, the 2017 team. That'll be a ton of fun. The defense on that team is going to be a blast to break down. They oh my God, they I don't know how they didn't. I think they might have beat up Brandon Peters or whomever that year at quarterback. They beat up somebody because they deserve better than what they got. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll be a lot of fun. So yeah, we'll take a week off and then 
We will see you back here for some more off-season content. We are inching closer with every passing week to, uh, I may as well announce it, this will likely be my final year doing Out of the Blue, being as how I'm moving over to Thailand and you know, you're you're joining the the Air Force, so we'll see if it's able to continue. But as of right now, looking like this will be probably our final season doing it, at least for the time being. Yeah, we're gonna, we're going to send it off in the right way too. Don't worry about that. We had a lot of great stuff coming this year. You know, I've been doing a lot of planning and a lot of foresight, and you never know; it could be a magical Michigan season. We're due. We are due, although we say that every year about this time. And we still are, damn it. <laughs> we still are due. That doesn't change the fact. I'm overdue. Oh, We're overdue. I love it, brother. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, wherever. Follow us on Twitter, at Blue. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.